Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have got a great, great segment for all of you today. Joining me today is Linda DiCarlo, USPS Manager of Safety. Today, we are talking about when the bark is not worse than the bite. And so we're looking at stepping out and talking about National Dog Bite Prevention Week. Now, this is very, very, very important for a lot of reasons. And I was telling Linda before the show, once upon a time when I moved to Seattle, I went door to door selling vinyl siding uh, just to get out of the house and earn some money. And what I learned about what we're about to talk about, many of us don't even begin to understand. Today, get ready, take some notes, and let's get at it, Linda. All right, look, what do you think? Am I right that people don't know what they don't know about this? Oh, absolutely, Dr. Pat. How many times have you said or heard, don't worry, my dog doesn't bite? Oh. Well, let me tell you, if it's got teeth, it can bite. Oh. You know, we at the Postal Service love to say, you know, even good dogs have bad days. And last year alone, 5,700 carriers encountered those dogs having bad days. And they suffered dog bites or attacks that not only impacted them, but their families, their coworkers, and even the pet owners themselves. And that's why we're really stressing the importance of being a responsible pet owner. Yes, it's Dog Bite Prevention Week, but this needs to happen more than one week every year. It's an everyday commitment. Look, you're responsible. You got a big job. You're because if you don't get it right, Linda, we don't get it right. So part of your job is responsible for putting policy in place, you know, for looking at and looking at and managing a staff of professionals that help us understand about many a program, many programs for a safe and healthy workplace. One of the things that I want to talk about with this is that we forget even the smallest of dogs, we think small dogs don't bite. We forget these are dogs, they're animals. And we expect them to have almost our own mentality. What is it that folks need to start to realize here with this? Well, I think, I think at, the, at the heart of the matter is the dogs are generally just doing what they're supposed to do. Yes. The dogs are very territorial, <laughs> they're protective, They've got a family just like you and I, and their job is to protect that family at all costs. And then, you know, that's where our carriers get put in harm's way. They're a stranger coming to the door, knocking, making noise, dropping boxes, sticking things through a slot in the door. We startle the animal. The animal just reacts the way they're supposed to. So that's why we focus a lot of our attention on dog bite prevention right from the very first day our employees are hired. And we continue that training throughout their career. What we're most excited about now is being able to leverage some new technology to not only help our carriers, but also help our 
homeowners and customers become better, more responsible pet owners. Okay, so let's talk about this, because many people watch television, they see the Hollywood effect, and they think, well, wait a minute, can't really be like that for our fabulous postal workers. Uh, Is it? You know, (laughs) that's a hard question to answer. But, you know, really what you have to keep in mind is that our carriers are delivering to every single residence every single day in every form of weather in any Mm. urban, suburban location. And it's very important that we provide them with all the tools and resources they need to respond to anything they may see. You know, you've all seen your carriers with those blue scanners. Well, they're called a mobile delivery device. And what we're trying to do is start to leverage that existing technology by adding a feature that lets a carrier indicate where a dog lives. So this will alert anybody else who may be delivering the route that day to know that there's a dog. And the carriers can even put in cute messages such as, you know, Fluffy likes to hide under the car and nip at your ankles when you walk by. (laughs) Just tell her to stop. She'll be okay all the way down to do not approach this residence. The dog is always out and loose. Mm. So by leveraging that technology, we can let our carriers be much more aware of their surroundings. And once you're aware of your surroundings, you have time to react. We've also got some technology for customers. You know, we have this service called package pickup. Carriers, uh, customers can go online and arrange for a carrier to come to their house to pick up their mail to go to the post office for them. Well, as they're scheduling that appointment, they can indicate that there's a dog on the premises. Again, it's about alerting our carriers so that they can be more aware. It will not prevent us from coming to your house. Don't get us wrong. The Postal Service loves dogs. We even have a stamp coming out shortly that honors military dogs. So this is not about being anti-dog. It's about being aware, being responsible, and giving our employees as much heads up as possible. The last technology, which is really exciting for us at the Postal Service is called Informed Delivery. This is a free application available to every customer. You can go online and sign up and the system will alert you and show you pictures of all the mail and packages scheduled to be delivered to your house. This gives you as a pet owner an opportunity to put your dog in another room or to make sure that he's on a leash and not wandering loose so that when our carrier comes to your door with that great package, they're safe and sound and can go home to their family. You know, let's take a look at a couple of really uh, important items, not only for our postal workers, but also let's talk about families. Because I think that what happens sometimes, Linda, is that the family and the owners don't realize that this is equally about them, their safety, and in all fairness, to their dogs. You know, there's, there's a responsibility to make sure that your dog, even if they're being just themselves, is not going to get in a whole lot of trouble, right? And so let's take a look at this and let's talk about the safety of this, the importance of this. And, you know, what happens, what happens around this when children are involved? Well, Dr. Pat, you you heard me say that 5,700 carriers were bitten last year. Well, nationwide, there were about four and a half million people that got attacked by dogs, and half of those were the elderly and children. Mm. So this is an issue. It's a national issue. It's not just a postal issue. And it, it has some ramifications, as you, as you said. If your dog attacks somebody, 
you're going to be liable through your homeowner's insurance or through the court system for any expenses related. As an example, if we have a carrier who sustains an injury, loses time from work, we will be able to go to the customer to get reimbursed for medical expenses, wage loss, uniform replacement. You'll also run the potential of stopping your mail delivery to your house until such time as your dog is back under control. And unfortunately, sometimes it does result in you losing your pet, Mm. either through confiscation or, uh, unfortunately, euthanasia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because we do have laws around this. I mean, there's no question about it, just in general. You know, we know that uh, for for us here as a society— we know that, number one, we have to protect people and we have to pr- protect those that are not equally equipped to protect themselves, like you said, children and the elderly, right? So I want right. to ask you this. Uh, one, how can people find out more? And I, 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 I'm really thrilled about the technology. Is this new technology? It's, it's new and it's old and improved all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, informed delivery is new. Um, we currently have more than if I can estimate correctly 40 million users, and we're shooting for more and more each day. The mobile delivery device has been around for a couple of years, but we're adding functionality as we go and see the ability to leverage it. For your listeners, we want to really focus on how do you remember all these tips and the things that Mm -hmm. we're talking about. Always try to make it simple. We're we're saying help us avoid the bite. Mm -hmm. B, be a responsible pet owner. I, inform delivery. Use the technology that we have available to you. T, take control of your dog. Make sure he's on a leash or secured in another room. E, ensure continuing mail delivery for yourself and your neighbors. Your listeners can find a great deal of information, including an interactive map if they wanted to see what the dog bite activity has been in their neighborhood at usps.com, search dog bite. You can also follow us on social media at hashtag Prevent dog bites. Now, I want to ask you this question, too. Thank you for this. We, I know we've got a, just a few more minutes left. Um, one of the things I want to ask you about, and thank you for the tips, is just in case something like this were to happen, you know, what is the action that should be taken? Now, I know that, you know, if you are a postal service worker and, and, and you get bit, they know what to do. But beyond that, you know, there could be others involved. You know, what is the proper action at this point? Because many people think, let me get in there. Let me try to control the dog. Let me, let me, let me. Uh, That's not really good. No, and I think the training that we offer our carriers really translates to just about anybody. Yeah. You know, never never run from a dog. You want to stand firm, hold your ground, you know, try to appear as big as possible. Use whatever's around you to create a barrier. You know, we have our carriers use their satchel. Give the dog something else to chew on other than your arm or your leg. Be aware of your surroundings at all times. You know, I can't tell you how many times you walk down the street, you see somebody buried in a cell phone or with earbuds in. If you're walking in an unfamiliar neighborhood, you want to make sure all your senses are on high alert for whatever you might encounter. And as a last resort, look at carrying repellents of some sort. We use a repellent that's safe for the dog. It, it irritates them long enough for us to seek safety. If, however, you are bitten, 
the, the first thing I could tell you and the most important is seek medical treatment. Most folks will just say, oh, it's just a scratch. You need to make sure you get medical treatment and that the medical professionals make sure that the dogs have all their shots. There are implications that you might not be aware of. So it's always critical to get medical attention. Yeah. And, you know, you brought something up uh, here, Linda, that I want to mention. I think a number one misunderstanding, misinformation is the following. I don't know why owners think it's cute to have a glass door and watch their dogs charge the door as if the dog is not going to go through it. Now, I'll tell you, I have had a few dogs, and I will tell you, they will go through the door. Uh, That is like a no-no, right? Oh, absolutely. You can't imagine how many times dogs have busted through screen doors or glass doors. We train our employees uh, to to put their foot at the base of the door when they're knocking, just in case. You know, Mm -hmm. we've all walked by, or you've even done it at your home. It's a storm door, but it never quite latches. And that dog sees somebody out there, they want to either go out to be friends or they want to go out to make you go away. And they can get right through that door without a problem. Uh, So that's why we're all suggesting put them in another room when you go to the door. Yeah, I had a fabulous German Shepherd. And I got to tell you, that screen door, that would be like cake. So Yeah, I bet you've that a few times. Yeah. But you know, we were smart with him. And so that's what you're doing today. And I want to thank you. Last question, website, more information. Thank you for doing what you're doing, because I think this is going to really prevent a lot of injuries. Thank you. It's usps.com. Search dog bite or social media, hashtag prevent dog bites. I love it. Thank you. Linda DiCarlo, everybody. And look, just a bit of information here. Please be safe, everyone. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. You know, one of the things I love about these segments that we started to do is we are getting you information that you probably are not getting anywhere else. Today, I'm so thrilled that Jennifer Bear is joining us here today, Corporate Liaison for the Corporate Affairs Department of PETA, P-E-T-A. Now, why is this important? Here's what we're talking about today. Humane or free range. Labels may not be what you think. And I got to tell everybody out there, you know, we discovered this along the way uh, in terms of organic, et cetera. But this is new information. Uh, Jennifer, thank you for joining me here today. Let, let, let's take a look at this. In a million years, I don't think we would imagine that there would be a confusion about labels, but there is, isn't there? Of course, Dr. Pat, uh, thank you so much for for wanting to talk about this because it really is such an important issue. Of course, Easter is right around the corner and there's really no better time to remind consumers that chickens who are used to lay eggs truly do suffer immensely in the animal agriculture industry. And companies that claim to be selling so-called humane eggs or free-range eggs are essentially just duping consumers into purchasing their products, which are the result of very miserable living conditions for these animals and overcrowding. Uh, One company in particular that I want to talk about today is Nellie's Eggs. So this is a company that claims that they love their hens. And when you take a look at this company's promotional videos and uh, its packaging, you're going to see hens who are roaming around these lush green pastures and who have 
plenty of open space, but that is simply not the reality of the situation. PETA's expose of a Nelly's egg supplier shows how these hens are crammed together in a dark, dank shed. Each hen had just over one square foot of space each, which is basically nothing. These animals are being forced to live on top of each other. Uh, And I would definitely encourage your listeners to go to PETA.org, take a look at the investigation footage and see for themselves just how cruel the living conditions for these animals are and how that is so not what is reflected uh, on the packaging and on the promotional materials for this company. I got to ask you, how is Mm -hmm. it that companies of this magnitude think that they could literally get away with something like this? It's it's always mind-blowing for me to, to imagine how you could be in the industry doing what they're doing and nobody's going to notice. Absolutely. Uh, It really is mind boggling. And it's also very misleading for consumers. And I'm sure I'm sure you feel this way and your listeners feel this way. And certainly I feel this way that when I walk into the grocery store and I'm picking out, uh, you know, what what items I'm going to be making for me and my family, I don't want to feel like these companies are fooling me and and tricking me into into thinking I'm doing right by animals. And really, nothing could be further from the truth. And that is why Uh, PETA has always advocated for a healthy vegan diet. A vegan diet is 100% nutritionally complete, and there is simply no reason to support these companies uh, in the egg industry and in the meat and dairy industry that truly do not have these animals' best interests at heart. And going back to Nellie's, just to talk about some of the findings from this investigation, we there are many, many birds who were missing feathers, mm. who have bald spots, either from fighting with other chickens because they're all crammed together right on top of each other, or from self-inflicted wounds because these animals have are under so much stress and are going through the trauma of living in these filthy, uh, intensely confined conditions. It's, it's simply unnatural and it's, it's simply cruel. And that is, that is what you're going to find at the heart of any kind of, of, in, of a facility in the egg industry. It's cruelty. It's, it's the one, one common factor amongst all of these companies. But you know what's really kind of sad about it, you know, uh, as well, is first of all, I just can't imagine human beings treating animals in this way, but it doesn't surprise me. The next thing, though, that I'm really a little bit shocked about is the fact that the idea of free range, cage free, organic, we pay a premium price for them, because what we think is, okay, they're really going through that extra, you know, length, that extra step. And so I'll pay that. So uh, I, I mean, how does that even happen in in the market? I mean, when you think about a class action lawsuit or a lawsuit of any kind, you know, deception is 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 not simply, you know, this is what's happening out there and this is inhumane. This is like we are tricking the public to pay more for something that's not happening. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you bring up a really good point, which is that uh, across these industries, meat, dairy, and egg industries, marketing ploys uh, are so important because it's natural that consumers don't want to think that they are hurting animals when they pick up, you know, one of these one of these companies' products off the shelves. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to think that they're hurting animals, but 
sadly, that really is the case. There are more than 300 million hens who are used and exploited in the egg industry every year. And going back to talk about uh, so-called cage-free facilities, hens on both small and large-scale commercial cage-free farms are always going to have short, painful lives. So often Mm, they spend much of their time confined to these crowded sheds with virtually no access to the outdoors. Uh, At the Nellie's facility that the investigation uh, took place at, the doors leading to the very small outside area were only open for part of the day. Uh, And again, because the hens are so crowded, it's very likely that some of the hens, even if they wanted to try to get to the outdoor area, they would literally have to fight and push through a crowd of tens of thousands of other animals just to try to get there. Um, it's, it's really mind-boggling when you think about it. And uh, it's just so unsanitary as well. I mean, at, at all of these facilities, you're going to see animals who are forced to live in their own waste. So often they have ammonia burns from just sitting in these filthy conditions all day long. And of course, I'm sure, I'm sure that, you know, your listeners are, are listening to this and thinking, you know, what is the right thing to do? And, and truly the only right thing to do, uh, you know, is, is to use delicious and healthy vegan alternatives to, to animal eggs. Um, there's a fantastic company called Follow Your Heart that has a product called the vegan egg, which uh, can be used for basically anything that you would use an animal egg for. Uh, and of course, there's even more simple solutions, things like chia seeds and flax seeds and even applesauce can be used in baking as an egg substitute. So it's, it's really never been easier to adopt vegan eating habits. I want to ask you this. How can people find out more? Let's give folks information. And the other thing I want to ask about is, you know, this is also about getting involved. Mm -hmm. That is so, so true. So there is a class action lawsuit going on right now. Uh, PETA is not one of the plaintiffs in the suit. Uh, Some lawyers from the PETA Foundation are involved. But if consumers are listening right now and, uh, you know, you're angry and you feel misled and, uh, you feel like, you know, millions of people all around the world feel that they don't want to be contributing anymore to these cruel industries. If you feel like you have personally uh, been misled by Nellie's in some way, there is information on PETA.org about the investigation and about the suit uh, that you can you can take a look at, you can review it. And um, also on PETA.org, there is so much information about how to uh, adopt vegan eating habits. We have a vegan starter kit. We have entire pages and pages of recipes, ways that you can have all your favorite comfort foods like pizza and uh, burritos and ice cream and, and every kind of food that you you know could ever want to eat can so easily be made vegan, um, yeah. which Again, I think that consumers should feel empowered that they have that choice. Yeah. And, you know, part of this is dispelling the myth about vegan. Um, You know, perfect example Mm -hmm. is my best friend Linda comes to Seattle and she's coming back out and we go to PCC. And so for uh, some reason, I, I just as an example, I saw a scone and I said, yeah, let me have two of those. Get the scone. And Linda loves it. And so lo and behold, next time I go back and it's a vegan scone. And so we have to dispel a myth about what this means when we say vegan, because vegan doesn't mean doesn't taste good, doesn't mean isn't good for you. It is a whole different educational level that I hope you guys are going to do, because that is a myth. 
that we need to bust. And the reason we need to bust it is because the lobbying around, oh boy, don't get me fired up now. Sorry. Uh, because the lobbying <laughs> no, around this. No, please get fired up. <laughs> but, but, but you know this. I mean, you live this every day. The lobbying around this is telling the general public that if you go this route, it is less than, and actually it is not. But beyond all of that, what you are doing at PETA is interesting and and absolutely essential. Can you just, are you allowed to mention the lawsuit at all? Are you allowed to talk a bit about that or no? Uh, I can talk a bit about it. Okay. Uh, certainly. I mean, it is ongoing. It is ongoing litigation. Okay. So, uh, you know, as as new discoveries and as as uh, developments become public, of course, we'll be sharing that. But the heart of this lawsuit and and even to speak more broadly, the heart of what PETA is trying to do and what we are doing is, like you said, dispelling myths. I think that there is this myth when you walk through the grocery store, look at the packaging of meat and dairy items. You're going to see grassy fields and bright blue skies and happy animals. And that is simply not true. There are 300 million hens each year who are suffering in the egg industry. And they are crowded. They are exhausted. Um, one of the employees at this Nelly's Egg Supplier actually uh, confirmed that after being forced to lay these eggs for 13 long months, these poor hens, their bodies become so uh, nutritionally depleted and depleted of calcium, in fact, mm. that the eggs they are producing are no longer considered, you know, quote unquote, marketable for the oh. industry. And because they are no longer a profit yielding asset, uh, they are, you know, then sent to slaughter, uh, which is just awful because they are living, feeling animals who who truly do deserve better. Um, so absolutely, I would encourage your listeners to go to PETA.org and yeah. just start looking around. Take a look at the investigation footage. Uh, and on a lighter note, take a look at some of our vegan eating guides. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some of our restaurant guides. Um, it, you know, exactly like you said, you can have scones, you can have cupcakes, you can have really anything that your heart desires. Uh, a vegan version of it and it'll be delicious it'll be good for the planet and it'll certainly be good for the animals who who won't be suffering yeah i you know thank you i know you got to run i just have one last question for you um mm -hmm. i don't know how as a consumer and maybe you're going to have to come back and do a round of these interviews but i don't know how we can make good decisions. I mean, all of us want to go to the, 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 the grocery store where the eggs are, and we want to look, and we want to be able to say, I am buying these organic, cage-free, whatever they are, and that's really the deal. I mean, how do we even, how do we even address that? This is, it's so bizarre to me. Well, that's such a good point, and it definitely is a process. Uh, as you know, as consumers, when you're walking through the store, it's an educational process. Uh, it, it is a lifestyle process. But one great way to start is by adopting vegan eating habits and, and choosing more vegan foods. Uh, you know, that's one surefire way to make sure that no chickens are suffering for your eggs is to not eat eggs. Uh, have a tofu scramble. Have a have a beyond. Um, sorry, a uh, I was going to say Beyond Meat, which is mm -hmm. a fantastic uh, you know vegan meat alternative. Um, but yeah, to choose, to choose delicious vegan options, uh, rather than these animal-based products, which truly are the results of cruelty. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. One great way to get started. Yeah. And, uh, uh, FYI, I am so glad that Lena Headey has stepped out to join PETA to speak out. I, I know she has been an advocate. 
I've been following her career, and I'm so glad to see her do that. Thank you so much for today. Jennifer, last question. Absolutely. Personal message. What do you want to leave us with? I would just want to leave you with the power of, uh, sorry, the message of feeling empowered as a consumer, truly. Uh, You know, it can feel so daunting and so negative when you see these investigations and and you see how awful these animals are treated. But Mm -hmm. to flip it around and, and look at it more positively, you now know that that's what's going on. You now have the power and the knowledge to know. And so uh, you can make better informed decisions as a consumer and you can make decisions that are kinder for animals. Well, thank you so much. Uh, We're going to take a short break, everyone. Please go to the website, PETA.org, P-E-T-A.org. And by the way, if you don't eat eggs, please go over here. There's lots for you to get involved with. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to our good news segment. One of the things I love about these segments that we do is that we are providing you with information that's going to help you create a better life, help you create a better world. Today, we're talking about the importance of having your finances in check. And why is that important? Many of you have seen all of the various shows we've done over a 15-year period just about this topic. Today, we're looking at What do you think you are? How do you think you're handling your finances? And what might you really be doing? Chuck Cavanaugh joining me here today, head of wealth planning for City Personal Wealth Management, and he is going to take on this topic. Chuck, great to have you. Hello, Dr. Patton. Thank you for having me on your show today. Well, you know, let's talk about, you know, perception for a minute. Um, One of my favorite Mm -hmm. topics and having been, you know, victim to this myself, There's a perception that, you know, I am totally cool with my financial status, what I'm doing, better known as financial savvy. And this is Uh something you talk about. Financial savvy may be something that we think about and think we are in our own minds, but I'm not quite sure we know exactly what that means. (laughs) Uh, Very true. You know, the Citibank did a survey a couple of weeks ago. And uh, our goals were twofold. We wanted to find out how Americans are approaching money matters with an emphasis on savings and also look at their perceptions about uh, their current savings options. And one of the outcomes of this survey was finding out what it means to be financially savvy. Actually, one of the things we found out in the Seattle market is that 78% of Seattle residents believe they are financially savvy. And 77% say that they're pretty much smarter than anyone else they know regarding finances. (laughs) So... This was an interesting takeaway for us, uh, and, and being a wealth planner, having been in the industry for nearly three decades, uh, I believe that many people uh, possibly are overestimating their financial knowledge. You know, one of the things we have to do when we talk to clients uh, about their financial plans is we ask them about their level of knowledge and experience, and we really start to drill down into that. And I think what, what, this, what this survey shows us is that people are maybe a little bit overconfident about their level of financial sophistication. Yeah. One of the things that I've learned, uh, you, you know, taking on this topic now for at least 15 years is there's the view of what we'd like to think we are with our finances. And then there's the reality that some of us may have to face or have had to face over time. You know, facing mm-hmm. yourself in the mirror when it comes to money, that is worse than uh, entering online dating for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah. I think that's true. I mean, we, 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 you know, what's interesting is that uh, this whole concept of saving, uh, you know, part of this, this survey is that there was sort of a, a savings paradox, if you will, 
Uh, many Americans, as we said, and many, uh, many people, uh, Seattle residents believe that they're financially savvy, smarter than everyone else they know. They're mm-hmm. putting away uh, all kinds of uh, setting aside funds for events ranging from emergencies to vacations. And yet there is a paradox, and that is that one in three don't really know for sure how much they have in savings, which was interesting. And mm-hmm. half don't think that savings accounts are effective at all. So I, I think a takeaway from that was that Maybe people are a little bit overconfident, and certainly we found that a lot of people are underfunded when it comes to their finances. Yeah. Well, let's talk about savings, because I think this is one of sure. the key things that for many of us um, has been an important and pivotal security blanket for us. I mean, what I mean by that is, you know, there is saving that one can do, and it could hardly affect your thinking, kind of the way that we're talking about financial savvy, right? Where you generally may not Mm -hmm. know what's going in your account or what is even in there. But there is a call to action to save. And the reason there is, is because we know what happens when we don't. But I don't think we know, Chuck, what the new or innovative, creative ways are to save? Well, that's a good point. I, I you know, I referenced back, uh, I think last year there was a Fed survey uh, that's quoted quite a bit that showed that 44% of Americans don't have enough cash to cover a $400 emergency. I think that's kind of a, a jarring statistic for a lot of people. But what we found is that many people don't have savings accounts. And, and you know, why is that the case? I think... That's the case because of the uh, traditionally over the past 10 years or so, the very low interest rates for traditional savings accounts. I mean, people were looking at uh, interest rates of maybe 0.1 percent. And as as the survey showed, a lot of them just said that it wasn't a very effective way to save. And and yet we always as financial planners, we talk to clients about the importance. I mean, they want to talk about investing sometimes. We say, well, you have to save before you can invest. You need something to actually put into the market as an example. And you need to have an emergency fund that gives you uh, peace of mind for unexpected events. And, and, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that. So if they have a major appliance breakdown or a serious illness or they lose their job, mm-hmm. uh, as that survey showed, uh, the Fed survey, most America or many Americans don't even have $400. So savings is really important. And one of the things that I think we need to make all of your listeners aware of is that not all savings accounts are created equally. In 2019, we now have these high-yield savings accounts. And uh, these are, you know, these you can find these products at banks and non-banks alike, alike rather. Uh, but the rates are currently around 20 times higher than those traditional savings rates. I mean, you're talking about rates that are 2% and higher. So for the first time in a decade, uh, these savings accounts are actually paying rates above inflation. Yeah, and that's why I was so excited to have you here today. And by the way, all of those conditions and situations that you describe, losing a job, losing your health, I've gone through those. That's why this is a passionate conversation for me. Um, And I'm traditionally one that was not very keen on saving. But I will tell you this, exactly what you're talking about is really critical for several reasons. One, it is important to be ready for that thing which you don't anticipate. But the other part of this that I think you're talking about is we are of the mindset that the old ways to save are the new ways to save. So let's do one thing before we continue. How can people find out more? Because I, I, what I love about a show like this and what we do here is that we're about solutions. And so where, where can people go to really look at this and say, hey, I didn't know that. Maybe I want some of that. Well, you know, for, for listeners who want more information on saving smarter, 
Uh, they can check out the uh, Citibank website at uh, www.city.com, and that's C-I-T-I, city.com slash save smarter. And, you know, I think I think it's a good point. I mean, you, I think that everyone has to do their research. There are a lot of organizations, a lot of banks and non-banks alike that are offering these high-yield savings accounts. But, again, if they go to Citibank's website, we have one of these high-yield savings accounts, and they can learn about it, again, at www.city.com slash save smarter. I want to ask you this question. I mean, people are quite familiar <clears throat> with financial institutions, but today we're talking about Citibank. And, you know, you, you all have come out in a way that I've not seen others come out to talk about this. And, first of all, I want to commend you for that. Um, because it is an important conversation. And then the second thing I want to ask you about is when we think about, when we have these two words in the same sentence, creativity and financial, I want to ask you, tell me what the possibilities are. The possibilities? Well, you know, I I thought one of the questions that we get sometimes are what are some of the creative ways that people are saving? Uh, But I will tell you that uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because we talked to clients about saving and part of that survey, 35% of the respondents said that they uh, cut their own hair to save money, which we thought was kind of interesting. Uh, and I have to confess, I'm one of those people. I don't cut my own hair, but I cut my dog's hair. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of creative ways, a lot of creative ways of uh, saving money. Uh, but we do spend an awful lot of time. Again, you know, being a wealth planner, we talk about we can go to the very exotic. We can talk about stocks and bonds and mutual funds and sophisticated investments, and that's all well and good. But for every client, whether they have a lot of money or not so much money, we have to go down to the basics, and we have to start talking about whether or not they have an emergency savings account in place. Do they have money, three to six months' worth of their income, in a savings account so that they can access that in case of an emergency? If they lose their job or if they get sick, or if the furnace blows on them like mine did last year, they have some money to pay for those things so that they're not just accruing more debt by putting it on a credit card. Uh, You know, a couple things you talk about here, and I know we've only got a couple of minutes left. Um, One of the things, too, is that there is the idea of looking at it, but then there is something I believe in, taking that first step. The hardest thing, I think, for folks around any pretty much over 15 years, just about anything having to do with money, right? Is that first step, that first action, that first thing, even if it is going to the website and looking it up, um, we have to really look at how we can take what you're talking about, the options, take that first step. Any, any tools you can suggest that you all have out there? Well, you know, it's a basic tool if you want to call it that, but I think one of the most important things is that, you know, when we're meeting with a client for the first time and we're talking about a financial profile or financial plan is that, and this is, this is the B word, they have to budget. And as you, I'm sure you know that uh, this can be a painful process, a time-consuming process, but they really should go through all of their checking account statements and ATM withdrawal receipts and everything and learn exactly where they're spending their money. Uh, this is something that when we go through the process, uh, we learn that many people find some surprises in there. Uh, for example, last week, a couple was in talking to us, and they learned that over one-third of their disposable income was spent on restaurants when they went out at night, if you can believe that. So getting that budget together, I think, is a very important first step. And that's something people can do without even talking to a financial planner or advisor, just sitting down and understanding where they're spending money, because then they'll start to see places where they can save and put that money in one of those high-yield savings accounts. 
Oh, you're you just hit the nail on the head because you are talking about Seattle, right? Uh, we, we live in the most let's go out to eat population other than Manhattan, where you can stop on the streets of Manhattan, go into a local store and get something to go. We live in the let's go out to eat, I think, area. And I last <laughs> month stopped doing that. And uh, I think I heard one of your uh, commercials or tips or something somewhere. I can't remember. TV, probably. And I looked at that and I stopped it for a month. The results are staggering. So I want to thank you, Chuck. Last question. Uh, what's your website? And please, how can we find out more? Well, again, uh, for any of your listeners who want more information on saving smarter, uh, they can check out the Citibank website. Uh, go to www.citycity.com slash save smarter, and they'll have lots of information there to help them get started. Personal message? Personal message, I think it's just important that people, whether you're approaching retirement, you're in retirement, or you're way away from retirement, just start to think about your future, start to think about what some of your goals are. And, uh, you know, I think, again, it's important that you put all this in place uh, as early as possible so that you can take advantage of the compounding of some types of investments like savings accounts and other investments. Do it I love, soon. I love that word, Chuck. Compounding savings. I love that. Compounding savings. <laughs> you guys, you've heard it here from Chuck Cavanaugh. Compounding savings. Go to, to, to the website, city.com. Save smarter. Thanks, Chuck, for everything. My pleasure. Thank you, Dr. Pat. All right, everybody, let's rock on. Come on, let's do it. Why don't we put together this challenge for the month? Let's absolutely take an action. Let's save something. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome. This is our good news segment. But more importantly, this is to educate and inform. Today, Laura, uh, Lauren Goody is joining us here today, as well as Allison Green. Lauren is head of global industry marketing and partnership Nest. And we'll talk about what that is. Allison Green, director of cause marketing and workplace giving at Habitat for Humanity International. Today, we want to talk about a home. Many of you have heard me share my story about what it's like to be homeless, but also struggling you know, what it's like to have a home. I don't know that we know what the state of affairs are right now in the world and how many people really struggle to provide that roof over their heads in a way that honors the dignity of the human spirit. Today, Lauren and Allison are joining me here today so that we could take this on. Thank you both for joining me. Thank you for having us. Um, Thank you. If home is the key to a better future, how can we, first of all, understand what I think is a crisis in the United States, number one, around this, but number two, create the change? Where are we? And perhaps this is for you, Lauren. Where are we? Or are you, Allison? Where are we? What is the state of affairs? What is it that the people listening here do not know today? Yeah, I think from a Habitat for Humanity perspective, we're really trying to shine a spotlight on not only the critical role that home plays, but also the affordable housing crisis that exists in our own backyards and in our own communities across the country. Um, so we've seen that one in four families struggle to uh, afford their home costs every month. And they're paying high rent, which means that at the end of the month, there's just not enough money left to mm -hmm. afford things like healthy groceries and medicine. And they're having to make really tough decisions and trade-offs because they're just paying too much of their take-home pay uh, for their housing costs. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, I live in, uh, some people say that the place that I live, uh, even though it's not officially on record, but the place that I live has some of the highest uh, apartment rental rates in the United States. Uh, and we've just watched them exponentially go up and up and up as if we have absolutely nothing to do or say about them. You know, but the question is, you know, there is someone out there helping. And that is Habitat for Humanity. Can you tell us about the role Habitat for Humanity is playing in this? And then how this partnership between you evolved? Allison, is that you? Yeah, it is. So uh, to address the need, Habitat is working in communities all over the country and around the world. We're in 70 countries internationally as well. And what we're doing is we're creating affordable housing solutions for families um, all across the United States. And what that looks like is that we, we work alongside of our future homeowners. They put in their own hours, their own sweat equity time um, to build their home or the home for someone else alongside our volunteers. And they actually take on an affordable mortgage with Habitat. Um, so they're keeping their costs lower um, and they're able to achieve a safe, stable, decent home for their families. Um, and so we can only do the work that we do through individual support and then through the support of our partners like Nest, who are making financial contributions and also enlisting support of their networks to join in and make our work mm -hmm. uh, accessible. We, we just can't do it without our corporate partners. Yeah. Wow. L Lauren, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Nest for mm -hmm. a minute. Let's talk about this partnership because y'all must have seen something that hit you smack dead in the heart, you know, where you said, okay, we yeah. have got to do something about this. I mean, this is a, this is a heart issue. And what I mean by that is it goes beyond humanity. So there must have been something you saw or feel you could do to create positive change. Yes, absolutely. So um, for those who may not know, Nest is um, a company that is part of Google, but we, we're known for making smart home devices. So one of the devices that we've made for years is uh, the Nest thermostat, which is a proven energy savings device. Uh, we know that when the device is in the home, it can help save, you know, 10 to 12% on heating costs and up to 15% on cooling costs. And because of that, we knew that, um, you know, families who are struggling every month, you know, they also need help with uh, to, to pay energy bills. And so our partnership with Habitat is really built on a shared belief that energy efficiency is a critical piece of building sustainable homes and communities. And innovative technology like Nest Thermostat can really help bring energy savings to those who need it most. Um, we know that you know 30 to 50% of a low-income family's uh, income is put toward energy cost each month. And that's compared to about 3% of the typical American household. So there really is a need to provide more energy efficient technology to these families. And that's what we're doing. We're making Nest Thermostats available to every new and retrofitted home that Habitat is building in the U.S. And we're so excited to do that. Um, and so, um, you know, we're, the Home is a Key program is, is one of the ways that we're doing that today. 
you know, this is really, I, what I love about you both is that you are looking at the whole situation, the whole picture. And, and you know, in the world I live, that's called a holistic approach to providing homes, <laughs> right? That's what we call mm -hmm. it. And what that means is that you're not just looking at, well, let's put a structure. Because the latest report came out about children's health today. And what we now know, and you both know this, is that what a person, what the structure is about that a person resides in has a multifaceted effect on their lives, on their emotions, on their psychological health, all of the above. And so when I go to the website, habitat.org, home is the key, it's a statement I'd like each of you to talk about. It says, we believe that home is a foundation of our lives and it should provide an atmosphere of contentment and calm where individuals can thrive. Yet for many families in the United States, the concept of home seems out of reach. Absolutely. Do we even mm -hmm. as Americans, United States people, people live here, do we even have a clue about how accurate that statement is? I think, you know, all of us can identify and have a special place in our hearts when we think about home and what home means to us. I mean, at the end of a long day, when you're able to walk in your front door and feel that comfort of being home, I think we can all identify with the importance that home means. I think that the, the crisis can be somewhat invisible for people. Mm. And so what we're really trying to do is make sure that people, as they think about what home means for them, and as they're outfitting their own homes with great technology like Nest, they're also thinking about the impact that they can have on others that may be working to put the pieces together. Um, and so we really tried to show the positive impacts and the outcomes that home creates that, you know, kids with a stable home environment are thriving in school. They are healthier. Um, there's more income at the end of the month to afford, um, you know, other other items for the family. And so we're really trying to focus that and make it more accessible and this message more accessible for everyone so that everyone feels like we can join in and be a part of the Home is the Key initiative, um, whether that's volunteering your time with Habitat or making a donation to Habitat for Humanity or supporting partners like Nest who have uh, joined in to help support our initiative. Um, I mean, the, the whole purpose of this campaign is to try to make sure that this message is resonating with all of those who enjoy what, what, you know, you consider home the way that you kind of started off this segment was talking about the, just what home means to you. Yeah. I, I mean, it, you know, look for many people the other day, Katie Porter, Congresswoman Katie Porter uh, walked us through the exact nature of what you were talking about here today, what the average person or average income is, what the costs are, and one of the things that I'm really thrilled that Nest is getting involved in is this idea of energy efficiency, because it is, the, for me, it's that silent, deadly, not knowing uh, aspect of how money that you earn can leak insidiously out because the, the place you're living in is beyond not effective or not efficient. And I think that for many people listening, not just people that we're talking about here today, but people in general, we are just not aware of how much it, or how mm -hmm. inefficient we are when it comes to energy. And so this technology has got mm -hmm. to be key 
for making and saving much needed funding and money for homeowners. That's right. We've always built to a high a high energy standard with Habitat. We've always built our homes to a high energy standard, but I think incorporating the Nest technology into mm-hmm. our homes yep. just continues that. Um, and I'll, I'll turn it over to Lauren because she has more information about sort of, um, you know, what, what we're doing with the Nest uh, team. But we, um, we totally agree with you there and see the value of keeping those energy costs low. Yeah, because aren't what we're talking about is energy efficiency equals saving dollars, right? See the connection? Mm-hmm. Because if, if in, yep. in the United States, we don't have enough money for a one bedroom apartment, then we need every bit of help we can get, right? That's so true. Yeah. So um, overall, you know, Nest as a, as a brand, you know, we're part of Google, but our mission has always been to create a home that takes care of the people inside it and the world around it. And our partnership with Habitat is really helping to deliver on both of those um, elements of, of our mission. And so we last year, we decided to do something about the energy burden. Mm-hmm. We know that more than 35 million American households are struggling with energy poverty. That's about one out of every four households. And energy insecurity can really create a lot of other problems. I think you mentioned this, but you know, children can't do homework without no. their lights on. No. Parents can't charge their phone. And you know, people are foregoing like basic needs like childcare to they're choosing, you know, do I pay my for groceries or do I pay my energy bill? And so you know, for us, we, we really just felt compelled. We had to do something about it. We know our devices are proven to help save energy. We work with energy companies around the country who provide, you know, how they help people even pay for these devices. Um, they provide energy efficient rebates, um, you know, not just on light bulbs, but on, on thermostats too. They want people to upgrade the technology because they know that it can really help. Um, and so yeah. last year, we, we launched a program called the Power Project. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it basically, it's our commitment to bringing a million uh, energy and money-saving Nest thermostats to low-middle-income families by 2023. And so our program with Habitat is, is really helping us to deliver on that. And we're really excited about it because every home that Habitat is building uh, this year or retrofitting is going to be able to have a Nest thermostat in it. And that really will help control the cost wow. every month. I want to thank you both because, you know, part of this is not even understanding the situation. I had a listener call into the show a month or so ago. Well, actually, it was during winter who said that it's so cold in her apartment that by the time she cooked her family dinner and got it to the table, it was cold. So can you imagine how cold that is in apartment that by the time you cook your food, put it on the table, it the food is not warm. And that is in our country. So thank you both for everything. How can people find out more? People can go to habitat.org slash home is the key. Again, habitat.org slash home is the key. And we've got information on our April initiative. We've got information on our partnership with Nest. And we actually have a link out to the Power Project website so you can see a little bit more about what Nest is doing. Um, And we just encourage people to donate. Um, Also, people can find out where to volunteer in their local communities through our website as well. So habitat.org slash home is the key. Wow. Thank you both so much. Awesome job. Thank you. Thank you for having us. We're going to take a short break, everyone. Come on. We can get involved in this. Um, Please go ahead and do it. Please go to the website. Check it out. Uh, Thanks to Allison. Thanks to Lauren. Uh, Positive change is happening as we speak. We'll see you in a minute. 
preceding audio was via a Skype call.